This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's the amazing Rico Bronya podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Can you believe this shit? We can all believe this shit. We all saw it coming from the moment this game started. To Ozzie Albies hitting just an absolute bomb of a three-run home run. The New York Mets have put the perfect, perfect cap on this embarrassing, humiliating, choke job of a sweep we've all witnessed against the Atlanta Braves. Now, most of us feared this. We were worried about this. The Braves just putting a shovel to our chances of winning the National League East. But could anybody have predicted Before this series started, they'd blow a three-run lead in game one. They'd blow a three-run lead in game two. And then what they did to us in the finale of this series was just cruel and unusual punishment. They blow a four-run lead. They blow a three-run lead in the eighth. They blow a one-run lead with one out in the ninth inning. And you could take your pick on who you want to start complaining about. Let's start with the million-dollar man himself. Justin Verlander, who sucked. Now, the game took four hours, so you forget that. You think about David Robertson. You think about Tommy Hunter. You think about bases loaded one out in the ninth, and you do nothing. You think about doing nothing in the 10th inning with the ghost runner on second base. But Justin Verlander, when the Mets needed him the most, after Max Scherzer took a giant dump on the Mets' chances in game two of this series, from the get-go, Verlander was awful. It's as if Justin Verlander thinks pitching for the Mets means pitching in the World Series every five days because that's how he's pitched, like crap, like it's the World Series. But I'm still comatose from this because as much as I sat there for three and a half hours expecting doom, like waiting for doom, like waiting for the destruction of this game, kind of thinking to myself, how are we going to blow it? Pete and I were texting each other. I tweeted it out. How many runs is this team going to need to win this game? That was like the billion-dollar question. You know, they're up 6-3. They're up 6-5. They're up 8-5. They're up 9-5. They're up 9-6. They're up 10-6. And I wasn't sure what that number would be. Like, what would that number be where you would feel comfortable winning this game? 20? 18? 16? 9? 37? So we're not idiots. We're not stunned that this happened. But as you're watching it, expecting it to happen, they find new ways to kick you in the balls. David Robertson is two outs away from securing what would have been the biggest win of the year. And I promise you, if the Mets had won this game, I would not have come on the Rico Bronya and said, we're back. We figured it out. We're good. It would have just been a sigh of relief kind of win. Like, okay, we got to win in Atlanta. Let's move the hell on. The same problems persist. But instead, it's like all of those great wins we witnessed a year ago, we're getting our comeuppance now. Because now we're dealing with brutal loss after brutal loss after brutal loss. For this team to go to Atlanta for the first time since a year ago when they got swept embarrassingly, and actually find a way to get swept in a more pathetic way, to actually find a way for your starting pitchers, for your billion-dollar starting pitchers, to actually suck more this time than last year, is incredible. It is mind-boggling. 
And it is only fitting that in the 10th inning, after we all knew this game was over, I mean, look, as soon as Orlando Arcia tied the game, we all knew the game was over. Then the Mets can't score in the 10th inning. We really know the game is over. But Tommy Hunter, who I, I we all forgot was on the team, hasn't pitched in a week and a half, decided to give us all blue balls. He decided, I'm going to tease all you suckers. I'm going to get Austin Riley out for only the second time tonight. I'll walk Travis Darno. I'll do that. Smart move. I'll get Eddie Rosario out. And just when you think, wow, the Mets are going to be able to escape the 10th. They're going to have the heart of the order up in the 11th inning. They made it past Rysel Iglesias. Maybe they hit Nick Anderson. Maybe they put together a, a, a big inning. Just as you're actually putting that stupid thought in your brain, freaking Ozzy Albies crushes one. Crushes one. We don't even have to look. I mean, you could just shut the TV off. I promptly just stormed out of the bedroom and said, you know what I'm doing? I'm recording a Rico. But I'm comatose from this crap. This is just, it's, I'd say it's unbelievable, but it's not unbelievable. They find new ways to lose. Now the offense wakes up. Justin Verlander takes a giant turd all over the Met chances. The Met bullpen, which we know is not that good, is somehow asked to get 18 outs. And really, nobody pitched well. (laughs) Let's be honest. Like, guys weren't terrible. But nobody was really good. Steven Nagosik, okay, got through the fourth inning, got a big double play of Ozzy Albies, but he gave up a home run to Marcelo Zuna. He gave up a double to Michael Harris. Jeff Brigham comes in. I guess he was actually their best reliever. (laughs) Jeff Brigham actually came in and did all right. He only gave up one hit, and it was an infield hit. So he was all right. Brooks Raleigh comes in, immediately gives up an inherited run. Drew Smith comes in, gets a huge double play of Acuna. What does he do in the eighth inning? Uh, What he always does. How could Drew Smith have an outing without giving up a home run on an off-speed pitch? That'd be illegal. Can't have that happen. Say he comes in and gives up a home run to Travis Tharno. David Robertson comes in, does a good job at first, gives up the game tire to Orlando Arcia, and they got very lucky to get through it when Matt Olson hit one of the warning track, and then you had Tommy Hunter. So it was a collective fail by the bullpen and Justin Verlander. <laughs> the Mets spend $90 million on these two mercenary piece of craps who've done nothing. Like, Max Scherzer's pretended to do something because his overall numbers are good and he's had some really good starts. But think about what he did last year. We went over it last year. Max Scherzer pitched well, missed a big chunk of time, and then when they needed him the most against the Atlanta Braves and then in the playoffs against the Padres, he wasn't bad. He was awful. What does he do in game two of this series? You know what? I'm going to save it. I'm going to save Rip and Scherzer for a little bit later. Let me focus on Verlander. So here's Justin Verlander. He has made six starts as a New York Met. Two of them have been bloody awful. Three of them have been good. One of them's okay. He's coming off a performance at City in which he throws a million pitches. Great. He battled. He gave up that first pitch home run to George Springer. He ended up pitching well. What does he do today? With this team facing a five-game losing streak, facing the Atlanta Braves, a rival that has just bitch-slapped them for for basically our entire lives. That's all they've done is just destroy us. What does Justin Verlander do? Three pitches into the game, he gives up a double. Then he gives up a line-out. Matt Olson hit the ball like a rocket ship. Then he gives up a home run to Austin Riley. Then he gives up two more hits and somehow fights through the first inning. Fights through trouble in the second inning. Now he can't throw strikes in the third. And the only compliment I'll give him in that third inning, as his pitch count started to balloon up, is I thought when he walked Acuna on four pitches. And at that point in the third inning, I guess it made it six to five. So it made it a one-run game. The bases are loaded for Matt Olson. I thought he was just going to give it all up. Like I thought, okay, that five-run second inning was fun. That insurance run in the third was fun. Verlander's giving it all back. I was actually stunned when he struck out Matt Olson. But what a dud of a performance by the $45 million man. He pitches three innings. 
He walks four guys. He gives up seven hits. He gives up five runs. One of them's unearned because Starling Marte, God knows what he was doing in right field, overruns a base hit to right. But Verlander stunk. And I know we only have the seven games to look at from Justin. We have a bigger sample size with Max. But think about how awful all of these guys have been. And as this is happening, you know, during the commercial breaks, I was live on this game. I read an article, and it shouldn't have pissed me off. It shouldn't have annoyed me. But I read this little blurb by John Heyman in which an unnamed Met source said, hey, look what happened to Jake. It was a no-brainer to not make him a serious offer. So now now there's spike in the football that they didn't really want Jacob to ground back. And they were right about that, right? Obviously, the way things turned out. I don't want to hear anybody from the Met organization spike a football on any goddamn decision they've made. Because Justin Verlander, while he's pitching and he doesn't need Tommy John surgery, blows. Okay? So I don't want to hear about, oh, we were so smart. We didn't give DeGrom a five-year contract. Great. You gave this stiff $45 million a year. We're going to do this on another podcast where we talk about off-season moves. So I'll go back a year. You brilliant guys, and, and I'm wrong about it too, decided to give Max Scherzer all this money and not sign Kevin Gausman, who basically makes a start every five days and is better at this point in their career. I'm only bringing that up because that one douchey line in Heyman's article just pissed me off. Ha, we, you know, it's a no-brainer to let Jake go. Oh, yeah? Was it a no-brainer to give up Colin Holderman for Daniel Vogelback, you morons? Was it a no-brainer to give up five players for Darren Ruff? Was it a no-brainer to rely on two old Hall of Fame stiffs to lead this rotation? Was that a no-brainer? Oh, is it brilliant? You guys are freaking geniuses. Guys, you know what you're doing. Shut up with that. So Verlander stunk. The bullpen, like, here's the thing. As I mentioned, no one was good. We could scream and yell about it. These guys aren't good. Like, Verlander pisses me off and Scherzer pisses me off because they're going to go to Cooperstown. Steven Nagosik being Steven Nagosik is Billy Epler's fault. Jeff Brigham is Billy Epler's fault. Brooks Rally is not bad, so I don't want to really piss on him. Drew Smith being a guy you trust in your bullpen, that's Billy Epler's fault. So I don't want to verbally attack them any more than I have to. So let's just get back to Verlander. Boy, big Justin Verlander. Come to New York with your stupid little thing on your chin, Hall of Fame resume, and all you've done is, let's face it, be mediocre. You have a 480 RA, but more than that, we need you to pitch well in the biggest moments. And this series against Atlanta, while it's only June, so far is your biggest moment. Justin Verlander, three innings, five runs, four earned. Max Scherzer, five and two-thirds innings, five runs. So let me just do some math here. That would be eight and two-thirds innings, 10 runs, nine earned from the two Hall of Famers. That's what they did in Atlanta. Now, as far as the offense is concerned, look, we obviously knew that in the ninth inning, nursing a one-run lead with the bases loaded and one out, you have to score a run. Omar Narvaez has to put the bat on the ball. He did not. Mark Vientos, I know we all want him to play. He was abysmal offensively in this game, and it's okay to say that. He should still continue to play. He should still get an opportunity. It's certainly better than Daniel Vogelback, but 0 for 5 with three strikeouts including an 0-2 pitch right down the middle in the ninth inning, it was not good. So we can look at that sequence, and we could look at the sequence in the sixth inning where they had two on and one out for Beatty and say, hey, they missed opportunities. They left runs on the board. The problem is, I could say all that, they scored 10 runs. They scored a run every inning between the second and the sixth. They fought back after Verlander did what he did in the first by putting up five in the second, including the salami sandwich from Brandon Nemo. So I don't know how much energy any of us should spend ripping the offense, despite, yeah, them not doing much in the last four innings of the game. 
Yeah, they went 0 for their last 11 with runners in scoring position. Like, those are real things, and I'll bring them up. But my anger cannot be fully at an offense that scored 10 freaking runs. And for the second time this season, the Mets scored 10 runs in a game and lose. They did that one time all of last year, that wild game against the Giants. This year, they've done it twice. So I'm freaking comatose right now as the Mets have gotten swept by the Braves. They're three games under 500, and the world is crushing down. Pete, you have something to say? Uh, yeah, the Mets made history today. By the way, I just want to let you know, I'm eating a big piece of cheese. So spread out. Tell us all your thoughts, all right? Okay. Well, first of all, I want to tell you that the Mets made history today. For the first time in history, the Mets franchise they have lost three consecutive games in which they've held a three-run lo- three lead in each game. So that, to me, is just set the bar of, of how crappy a stretch we're in right now. And by the way, I just want you to know something. I legitimately turned the game off after we could not score a run in the top of the 10th. So my reaction to this loss it was hearing you vent I had no idea we lost. I had no idea that Ozzy Alves hit a three-run home run, but I knew that they were going to lose because – that's what I was watching. It was all a buildup to the worst horror movie I've ever seen in my entire life. And I'm sick and tired of it. And you want to sit there and say that Verlander and Scherzer, by the way, are the, you know, getting paid a ton of money. And I'm going to sit there and kill them. Well, guess what? It's not just on them. That's all Billy Epler, too, because I'm sorry. Billy Epler has been given a blank freaking check to bring in whoever he possibly can to make this team great. And he's failed. He's anybody could give Verlander and Scherzer a ton of money. That doesn't take a genius. I'm sorry. He has not done anything right at all. And it shows. And you're right. Today was not offensively an issue, but the bullpen, every single arm in there is garbage. Like, like Robertson today took the first game to blow, blow a game. It was a huge spot. It sucked. But besides him, everybody has been bad. They have a trash bullpen. I don't think there's any denying that. And David Robertson pitched out of his mind for the first two months of the season. But we knew inevitably he was not going to be Edwin Diaz for the full season. And that's another thing they broke this year. Uh, They had that streak of winning every game where they led after eight. That streak's out the window as they blew this game leading after eight. But David Robertson, who's been good, and I'm not throwing him away here, but there was no way he was going to continue to be flawless. And the difference between last year and this year is that you're going to sometimes blow games. Obviously, the timing of this was bad. You can still win when the Mets are given a runner on second base with nobody out in the 10th inning and the top of the order coming up. You got to score a run. See, now you got me ripping the offense because I'm so pissed at everything. I mean, well, can I tell you something like an Alfred's two huge bombs today it was great to see. But I have, I feel like I'm in little league again. the The amount of the amount of pitches, strike three guys are just looking at and not swinging, and they're striking out like they're down the freaking plate. It's not like it just hit the corner. They're down the plate, and Alvarez is watching strike three. Vientos is watching strike three. Like, what the hell are they looking at? Well, they also struck out a ton today. So, despite scoring all the runs that they scored, the Mets, who are generally a low strikeout team struck out 16 times in this game, and you mentioned it, a lot of them were looking. Mark Viento struck out twice looking. Francisco Alvarez struck out, I think it was only one time looking, but there were a bunch of looking strikeouts in this game. It's it's tough. Alvarez, and we shouldn't ignore it, hit two home runs in this game, one of which was a bomb. The other one I still can't believe got out. Brandon Nimmo had a grand slam in this game. Francisco Lindor orchestrated a double steal and was on base three times in this game. Starling Marte had three hits in this game and drove in a run. Tommy Pham had a one big RBI double in this game. So there was some good offensive performances. Late, though, in the ninth and tenth, that was the missed opportunities. You have bases loaded, one out in the ninth with a one-run lead. You've got to find a way to get one run across. And then the ghost runner. Like the one thing we're learning about this ghost runner is when you're the road team and you got a runner on second, nobody out tie game, obviously, you have to score a run. And Nimmo off the bat, I thought out a line drive base hit. Unfortunately, it was right out Ozzy Obbies. They actually almost doubled up Marcana into a double play. And then Alvarez and McNeil both strike out. 
and they do nothing against Racel Iglesias. But what this comes down to is it's another night where they find a way to lose. It's the opposite of last year in every sense of the word. They find ways to lose. The offense finally hits. The starting pitching and bullpen is awful. Now, I want to get back to what you said. Verlander and Scherzer, last year it was DeGrom, Scherzer, and Bassett. These pitchers have failed in the biggest moments, and that's what's supposed to be the strength of the team. Like, when you look at the Mets on paper, coming into this season, coming into last year, the thing that made the Mets unique, besides Diaz, who ended up having an incredible year, was having two aces at the top of their rotation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Last year, it was Jake and Max. This year, it's Max and JV. And these two guys this year, more so than even last year, because last year is what it was. DeGrom missed the first half of the year. Scherzer was really good when he pitched, and then he crapped the bed in the last two starts. DeGrom was not great in his start against Atlanta. He was better in his start against San Diego. But right now, Justin Verlander's got an ERA near five after missing the first month of the year. Scherzer was pitching really well over his last four starts, but has now kind of given us the, 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 the rhythm of, hey, he'll give you some really good starts. He's not completely done, but when it's the biggest game, he will come up small. And what he did in game two of this series gave me flashbacks to that stiff Tom Glavin. Because what Tom Glavin did in game five of the NLCS in 06 haunts me almost as much as the other stuff from game seven. They gave him a lead, and he instantly gave it back. Max Scherzer looked dominant in game two of this series. He's striking guys out. He's looking really good over the first three innings. How many strikeouts did he have in the first three innings? I think he had like eight. So he was incredible. And the Mets gave him a 2-0 lead. They actually scored in the first inning. They give him a 2-0 lead. In the fourth inning, I'm willing to throw that run away because they were all infield hits, and he was very, very unlucky, and he got out of it with a big strikeout. But then in the fifth inning, after they give you more runs and you're up 4-1 to one, and you've got two outs and nobody on, Max Scherzer gives up a hit and a home run. All of a sudden, it's a game again. What does he do in the sixth with two outs and nobody on? A double, a double, an RBI single, and the entire lead is flushed. That's not an ace. That's not even a good pitcher. That's a stiff. And what really pisses me off about the Max game is that you can't even tell me, like you couldn't with Verlander, didn't have it. Like sometimes, eh, just not your day. It's bad timing. He didn't have it. You can't say that with Max because he had it. In the first three innings, he was dominant. He was electric. He had it. But in the fifth and sixth inning, he gave it away. So right now, and you're not wrong with anything you said, Pete, in kind of ripping Epler and the way the roster is built. And we'll have a lot of time to break that down. But right now, my anger is that they have two Hall of Famers on this roster who, by the way, I'm sick of saying it, but I'll say it again, have done nothing for us. They are the definitions of mercenaries. And they're not doing their job. And they are coming up small. When your offense scores 10 runs and you have Justin Verlander on the mound, that's a win. When your offense gives you five runs and you've got Max Scherzer on the mound, that's a win. And while the bullpen wasn't good either night, 
and the bullpen absolutely sucks. I agree. Those guys can suck. Those guys need to be great. And if they're not great, we're screwed. And right now at 30 and 33, after what we just witnessed, it's not the math. It's the results. We feel screwed. One thing we forgot, too, is the fact that we did beat up on Spencer Strider, which is a historic thing. We do that. That's something that's not new. But you talk about our mercenaries not showing up in the biggest spots. We were able to to actually perform well against one of the best pitchers out there right now. Uh, and so that's just another deflating thing on top of it. Like it, you, you can't lose games any worse than the Mets do this year. It, it's getting pathetic, actually. On top of pathetic, one more thing to add on. I, I didn't hear the audio yet, but I just saw a quote from <laughs> Buck Show Walter. Uh, talks about the, the the right mindset after a sweep by the Braves. He said, I'm proud of them. I look at it as positives other than we just couldn't get out. Oh, stop. Used every hour we had. Proud stop. of them. I, I, you know what? I don't want to hear that crap. Because while they definitely fought back when they were down uh, 3 nothing, I'll give them that. I think we all assumed when the Braves scored three runs in the first inning and Starling Marte's overrunning base hits the right field, Yes, we'll all admit we thought the game was over. No matter what success they've had against Spencer Strider, I think my thought was, especially after the first inning when he's striking out a couple of the guys in a dominant one, two, three inning, my thought is, well, he's due to dominate. He's a very good pitcher. The Mets have had success against him. It all ends tonight. So I'll give them credit that they pounded Strider, like you said, and they responded after the Braves went up three nothing. So they did show a little bit of fight. But what I would ask Buck is where was the fight when they blew the lead? Where was the fight in the 10th inning? That game can still be won. I'm sorry. It can be. You have the top of the order coming up with a runner on second base. So I don't want to hear about fight. I don't want to hear about how proud you are. The Mets are in a free fall. They've lost six in a row for the first time since 2019, which this season reminds me of. Even though in 2019, the Mets won, I think, 86 games, which actually would be enough to make the playoffs this day and age. They had so many bad losses, so many losses that they left on the table where, yeah, they won 86, but they should have won 93. I don't know if this team's going to win 86 games, by the way. I have no idea. But now they're starting to rack up the brutal losses, the losses that are left on the table. This is a loss that's left on the table. How are they going to respond in Pittsburgh? I have no freaking idea. But the one thing I don't want to hear from this manager is how proud he is. Because nobody's proud. Everybody's embarrassed and everybody's disgusted. And maybe that's the right thing to say. You know, maybe it's okay once in a while to say, hey, I'm disgusted. Now, as far as his managing is concerned, I had some questions about the bullpen handling in game two. I'm debating if we should even spend time on it because it's so yesterday's news. We are recording this right after the bets got swept. So I don't know if I want to get into the weeds on game two of this series. As far as game three of this series is concerned, I didn't hate any of the way he handled this bullpen. I had one question. So first of all, Verlander after three innings, he's thrown 82 pitches and he blows. You want to take him out after three? I can't cry about it. Especially after throwing 117 pitches five days earlier. I I don't think Verlander was ever settling down. So... Do you disagree with the pull of Verlander, or would you have pushed him another inning? I would have tried another inning just because it's not like we give our bullpen a lot of time off. I mean, we're asking six innings. That's a lot. and that's I get it, but do you think Verlander's settling in? No, but the bullpen didn't settle in either. No, no. Listen, (laughs) we know the bullpen isn't a great option, but... Justin Verlander, 82 pitches after three innings, heart of the order coming up for the third time around the order. I I don't think it ends well. Like, I I don't think Verlander is able to give you a scoreless inning. I don't don't know what happens if you keep him in the game, but it ain't good. Can I ask you a question? All right, this is stupid, but you know how uh, in a World Series, Game 7 on the line, you – do you go to your bullpen or do you go to your best pitcher? Who who is the best pitcher? If – if your best pitcher has thrown 83 pitches and nursed his way through three innings and gave up five runs and four earned, I'm going to assume my bullpen is good because I'm in the seventh game of the World Series. So I'm going to my freaking bullpen. 
<laughs> now, the Mets don't have a good bullpen, but I don't know if it's really about trusting the bullpen. No one does. It's more about he hasn't had it. I mean, he just he just walked four guys in the third inning. He walked Acuna with the bases loaded. He was fortunate to strike out Matt Olson. I, I just don't think he had anything left would be my answer. And he goes to Nagosik, which is the obvious guy to go to. He's basically become the long man. He gets through the fourth inning. Okay, great. He lets him start the uh, the fifth inning. He gives up a leadoff home run. At that point, my antenna's up. All right. I'm already in the fifth inning. I'm trying to piece together how many outs I need. I know I could get maybe five or six out of Robertson, so I'm working backwards. I know out of Vino and Leon aren't available. Everyone else is. So I'm on alert when he gives up the home run. He gets it out. He gives up a double to Michael Harris, and he pulls him. I'm with him on that. Like, I think at that point, yeah, take him out of the game. He goes to Jeff Brigham. He gets the next two guys out. Brigham starts the sixth, gives up an infield hit to Austin Riley, and then Brett Beatty makes a great play at third base. Then he goes to Raleigh. That's where I would differ. And this is the second straight game in which Buck did this. Buck needed to go to Brooks Raleigh to face Eddie Rosario. And it did. And this was the point I made about getting into the weeds from game two. I don't need to get into the weeds of game two because he did it in game three. Now, when he did it in game two, it sort of worked because he got Rosario out. But I questioned it because Rosario's hit lefties better than righties. Raleigh's a guy who can get lefties and righties out. Why am I in a rush knowing that the on deck hitter after Rosario is 50 times better as a right hand hitter to go play lefty lefty? So I would have been okay keeping Brigham in the game at that point to try to get a few more outs. That was the the one first guess I had from his bullpen handling. He goes to Raleigh, immediately gives up an RBI sink. Like, I didn't have time to even tweet out my disapproval, RBI single. But then Raleigh gets the next two outs. Great. He lets him start the seventh, fine against RC and Michael Harris, gets an out on a great play by Nimmo, gives up a hit. Now he goes to Drew Smith. We don't love Drew Smith, but again, here's the problem. What other options do they have? It's like anyone who hates Adam Adovino after game two. Yeah, we know Adam Adovino's shaky. They don't have better options. They don't. So you can't say, oh, I'll just DFA Adam Adovino and replace him with who? Denny Reyes? Jimmy Yacobonis? Like, literally, those are the guys right now that would replace him. So he goes to Drew Smith. I'm with him on that to face Acuna. Gets the double play great. Here's where things are tricky now in the eighth inning. You could go to Robertson right out the gate against two, three, and four, but you're immediately taking Smith out of the game after getting two outs when you could squeeze another out out of him. And if you go to Robertson in the eighth, which I'm a fan of, especially against that heart of the order, you have no one to back him up. You're done. You just use your last chip. So I think what Buck said, and I agreed with it, was I got to try to squeeze an out or two out of Drew Smith here. Because if I go to Robertson in the eighth, I'm committed to David Robertson for the rest of the game, or I'm going to Tommy Hunter because I got nobody left. Smith gets the out. He gives up a hit to Austin Riley. Now, once he gives up the hit to Riley, here's the first guess game. Do you go to Robertson now to face Travis Darno? You're up by three runs. I think I would have. I think I, I think at that point, I would have done that. He doesn't. Darno hits a two-run bomb off Drew Smith because, of course, he has to give up a home run. David Robertson then comes into the game, one-run lead, five-out save. At that point, the managing's done. Like, there's nothing to first guess or second guess. David Robertson's in. So those are my areas of questioning in terms of Buck's bullpen handling. But let's go back to the first point you made, Pete. This bullpen sucks. So you could try to handle it as much as you want, handle it with care as much as you want. There are not a lot of great options in this bullpen. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I'm not even sure who besides Robertson is a good option anymore. I mean, we're talking about great, like, okay, a shutdown guy. Brooks Raleigh hasn't been as fantastic as we wanted him to be, too. It's, It's been a crap show. And I'll say this: I, You're right. The the his decision bringing uh, Brooks in, in to get that last out, uh, I didn't think it was necessary. But then once he did that, like he's just got to go leave the guy in for the whole inning. Like if he's going to have Brooks start the, the next inning, let him go the rest of the way. Like 
I want the guy to have a clean inning and just start fresh like that. To me, I just took the inconsistency to go pull him here and there. I know the matchups. I know I get it. But at this point in time, you have a limited amount of availability in your bullpen. You're running out of arms. Give him the full inning. Let him get through the full inning. That's what I would have done different. Yeah, I think the problem was when Rayleigh pitched the seventh, he got bailed out on a diving play by Nimmo and gave up a hit, and now Acuna's up. And it just feels like, oh, this could go bad. Like, this could be where Acuna explodes and hits a bomb of a home run in that moment. But, look, the problem when you're facing a lineup like this, and it is a great lineup. I mean, the Atlanta Braves are so freaking loaded. Michael Harris, I know he's had a bad year. We're starting to see him break out, and it looks like he has, especially with what happened in game two of the series, and then two more hits in game three of this series. There's no easy out, and the Mets don't have a good bullpen. Like, they don't have a lot of great options. So it makes the bullpen handling so much more difficult when you don't have good options. Now, let's get to Alonso, because in game two of this series, Pete Alonso, right after, you know, the whole thing with the throw it again, throw it again, which I ripped them for. But I think I was being a little emotional, too, because it was right after the game. The more I think about it, whatever. Pete gets drilled by Charlie Morton. It's not on purpose or anything, but you could tell right out way this is trouble. The way Pete looked, the pain, the anguish in his face, and then the immediacy of him coming out of the game. We are right now in a moment where the Pete Alonzo wrist injury could be one of those epic injuries we talk about for years. And I'll tell you why. They give him a CAT scan in the middle of the game, which I know doesn't always tell you if there's a break or not, or if there's a fracture or not. But we get good news in the midst of the game. Hey, scan came back. All good. X-rays look good. He's day to day. That's step one. So we're like, great, All right, he'll miss a game or two. He should be back. Pete has missed very few games in his Met career. Then we get to Thursday, the finale of this series, and we're notified that Pete's going back to New York to get an MRI. Immediately, you get your run-of-the-mill, don't they have MRI machines in Atlanta tweets? Which, I get it. But we hear he's going back to New York, and it's like, oh, crap. He's going back to New York to get an MRI? This is not good. So now it's shifting towards bad news. But Buck Showalter, our favorite manager, decides to say, yeah, we're there. We're going to New York. MRI precaution. I hope he's in the lineup. Or I, I don't know if it's hope or expect. He should be in the lineup tomorrow. Well, hold on a second. He's going to New York for an MRI. You're not sure. Maybe there's a fracture on this wrist. We don't know. He could be back in the lineup one day later, a fly out to Pittsburgh, everything's going to be fine. That's a little bit of a warning sign. Now, we're distracted throughout the game because, hey, Pete's not playing. Mets are trying to win. It was a crazy, crazy finale of this series. By the way, I thought Vientos defensively looked okay at first base. He had that one slight bobble on a potential double play. Outside of that, I thought he looked okay. Now, with the game over, Bucks asked about Pete Alonso, and Bucks says, I'm going to defer to Billy Epler. I don't think they have all the information gathered yet completely. Now, maybe when you listen to this, Rico, we will have the information, but I can tell you right now, this is starting to scare the crap out of me. This is starting to feel, uh-oh, this could be far worse than we thought. And this is why the Yankees, I'm going to give the Yankees credit for something. This is why they don't want to tell you anything about Aaron Judge's foot. Here's why. If they tell you it's not a big deal, and then it turns out to be a big deal, we're going to crucify them. Well, I'll tell you right now, if this Alonzo thing turns out to be a fracture, a break, whatever it is, and he's missing an extended period of time, obviously it sucks. I don't think Charlie Morton threw at him, and it's a big blow to the Mets, but we're going to start to be angry at the messaging. We're going to be angry about, X-ray came back, he's fine. We're going to be angry about, yeah, he's going to New York, precautionary, should be in the lineup tomorrow. We're going to be angry about all that. And that's why with injuries, as much as it drives us all nuts, sometimes they're better off not saying anything. (laughs) Because if they say something and it turns out to be far worse, we're all going to be pissed. And so, yeah, I think our brain goes to a place of, can they survive without Pete? 
How would this lineup look without Pete? Who's getting most of the at-bats at first base without Pete? Certainly in day one, really the first two games without Pete, the offense has been okay. I mean, they've scored 15 runs in two games, but that's short-lived. At the end of the day, he's the best slugger in baseball. And to not have him in this lineup, which is not something we're used to because we've been spoiled by Pete, he goes out and plays every day. That's one thing about Pete Alonso. He plays every day. He has missed so few games in his major league career. But right now, we're staring into the abyss of Pete Alonso missing a significant period of time. And guess what? Considering the way this season is going, why would anybody be surprised? Like everything that could go wrong has screwed us in the derriere. Well, that's why I I, I kind of had that feeling once once Nimmo hit that home run and and the the bats just started to come alive in that second inning, and I just got the sense then I'm like Pete Alonso is going to be out for a while, and they know this, and this it's like a fire got lit. It's almost like in hockey when they pull the goalie. Uh, you know, the starting goalie and the backup comes in. And all of a sudden, you know, the, the offense goes crazy. And you score six go- goals because you know you have you have to step up now. I think that's literally what's happening. And that, that sucks. If that's what it took for this offense to, like, light a fire, that Pete Alonso is going to be out for who knows how long for them to get going, that's a terrible reason. I- I'm happy to see it, but it's terrible. You know, you, you are right that sometimes when – key guys go down you get that like week or two where everybody steps up and you overcome it it's tough to do it for a long period of time because if you lose a great player you lost a great player so that does happen sometimes I don't know if that means anything that the Mets know or Brandon Nimmo knows or anybody knows but you are right because I remember that in years past with like Piazza would go down and for a couple of days everything's great everything's fine I I don't have like an obvious answer to how you replace those at-bats. Obviously, you could simply play Mark Fientos at first base, uh, and what that could do is open up Ronnie Mauricio because Ronnie's back. Ronnie had an ankle scare. He was in the lineup for Syracuse in on Thursday. He went over three, but he was in the lineup, and I think that's the most important thing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. But you could call him up, play McNeil and left, and have Mark Canna and Mark Vientos split first base. So even though Mauricio is not a first baseman, he could actually benefit at bat-wise from Alonzo being down because right now you only have three guys on this team, correct me if I'm wrong, who really could or have played first base. Mark Vientos, Mark Canna, and I guess Daniel Vogelback. He hasn't done it here, but he's played first base. The other guy who's played a little first base, actually, because now, now it's starting to come clear, is I think Eduardo Escobar has actually played a little bit of first base, briefly. Uh, I guess you could stick one of the catchers at first base, but they don't have a real first baseman. Like, all those names I mentioned are not first basemen. They're guys who can play first base. So it's not ideal. Well, first of all, just the, the Vogelback thing, I looked it up. He did play first base five games last year. They were all losses, and they were for an inning each. As a man. <laughs> so it wasn't a great run that he had. It was more like a blowout. Just put him at first base. We'll figure it out. Um, but one thing I, I do want to say, and, and I got, I'm got, i going to kill you on it like somebody uh, somebody tried to get me to do today on air. Go ahead. And, and it's, this is actually nothing that we've ever talked about before. But I question 
the defensive scheme of this New York Mets team. We've always talked about how, or or Billy Epler and Buck have always talked about the fundamentals of the defense. And by moving McNeil to left field, it, it, it's too many flashbacks of, of Daniel Murphy. And Beatty at third base is not flawless. And now Alonzo might be out for a while. So we're going to have somebody else stuck at first base. And Marte is injured or something's wrong where he's just playing a crappy right field where he's letting balls get behind yeah. him and he's just being lazy. And Nimmo is not as awesome as he was last year. That's whatever. But you're putting now a ton of people in spots that are all over the place. And I want to see Mauricio, but to add somebody else to that too, now I'm like scratching my head like, what the hell are we doing? Look, if you want to value defense, and I respect that, by the way, because the Met defense has been bad over the last month. I know Jeff McNeil had a very rough night in game two of this series when he bobbled the ball five times. He had the bad relay throw or raw through to the wrong base. I think that was the opener of the series. I'm trying to get all these uh, brutal losses straight in my head. So McNeil has not played a great left field. I don't think he's bad left field in general, but he hasn't played a great left field. But then you factor in Beatty at third base, someone unknown at first base, uh, Mauricio, whose reports have not been great at second, Marte, who's gone backwards and right, you're right. So if you want to value defense, one of the guys that has to come back, maybe to replace Alonzo on this roster, is Luis Giorme. Because one thing about him is he's great defensively. So if you're sticking McNeil in left, but Giorme is playing second base, you're improving your defense. If Alonzo goes on the IL, that is. Because otherwise, unless you just get rid of Vogelback, which I know has been the big talking point, and I'm not against it. Because I do think he's useless. He's he's not even really a first baseman. Like he hasn't played. He's played first base, but he's barely done it here. If honestly, I was on Baseball Reference, I don't even see the record of him playing first base here. He he played. It was five individual games last year in July or, or August. I thought it was. I thought it was. I see it Mets. with the Pirates. I do not see it with the Mets. That's okay, where I'm so looking. I see. I see Daniel Vogel back, never playing first base for the Mets. And to your point playing five innings of first base with the Pittsburgh Pirates. So then you got to go back to 2021, where, in fairness, he started 52 games at first base. But that's zero in 2022, and so far zero in 2023. So while he's a first baseman, he hasn't done it in a while. And Buck always talks about defensive versatility. He offers you zero defensive versatility. He don't play defense. He has never played a position for the New York Mets. So I, I think... If you're looking at internal options to replace Pete Alonso right now, it's probably it's probably Vientos. You could go Cano with the reasons I mentioned and have McNeil play the outfield and then either Eduardo Escobar, Luis Guillorme, Ronnie Mauricio play second base. Those are your options, but it's not good. It's a big drop-off. And despite how bad Vientos looked in the finale of this series, I'm still on board for a while. He's just got to play every day. Like he's just got to be out there. And there will be a time, we'll all come to that time differently, when we say, okay, enough's enough. I'm not there yet. I don't think that's fair. As bad as he looked in the finale of this series to say enough's enough, he's got to play. And with Alonzo potentially out for a period of time, it opens up even more opportunities for him to play. Well, I mean, again, when he struck out to in the first inning or whatever it was, uh, or second inning, whatever it was in a big spot, already and i'm like oh my god you know if he only had more at bats already to the season because he's been up for what like four weeks now three four weeks he had 32 bats coming into today like he's just not playing enough so i'm not saying he would have hit a home run or he would have gotten a base hit because of the experience but he needs to get run you got to stop benching the guy no, I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, let's get to some of your angry emails. I do appreciate all the people now that email in the middle of games or as the game is over because uh, we got tons just from the finale of this series. So I'll, I'll try to go through them. I don't read them ahead of time. So I just pull them up and say, all right, let's see what people are saying. So we'll start with Dustin Healy. At least it wasn't Vogelback. <laughs> That's his subject. This feels like the end. Forget the fans. I don't know if the players can come back from this big a kick in the onions. They look and play as sad as we feel. We all knew at 10-9 they were losing. But hey, at least even without Tubby in the lineup, we can still be pathetic. 
<laughs> he really has become the whipping boy. My one question for you in the season thus far is can you pick one guy who's been the most disappointing? The whole roster and coaching staff has been dreadful, we know, but Scherzer, Verlander, take your pick. Have to be the primary culprits as to why this season is spiraling. God is a Braves fan. Well, that may be the case. Um, My biggest disappointment is probably the two of them. And I think we should link them together because they are the aces. They are the Hall of Famers. They are the mercenaries. They are the guys here to make us forget about all the great young pitching we developed and then ended up losing for various reasons. Some because they stink, some because they didn't want to be here, some because we had an owner who was cheap. I'm talking about Zach Wheeler with that. So that's my answer. My most disappointing would be Scherzer Verlander. Whose would your be? It'd probably be Buck since you want him fired. I want Buck fired because I don't know what to do. Like I, I like <laughs> Buck. I, I like Buck so much, but like here's the here, here's the rationale here. I know Billy Epler's not getting fired anytime soon. He's gonna be he's gonna lose a job sometime during the offseason. So something big has to happen. Um listen, the, the there's no one that I can't put blame on right now. I really can't. Hey, it's everybody. I had, yeah, but if I if I had to pick one person, it's a player. If I had to pick a player, I'm going to go more Max Scherzer than anything else. All right, fair enough. Uh, Gansett Juice R.I. Is that that guy's name? I don't know. All right, Gansett Juice R.I. writes, Evan Pete, first of all, want to say love the pod. I don't have much energy to exchange any more pleasantries due to this abysmal Mets team. I'm writing because I'm faced with a Mets dilemma that has become more and more prevalent with each passing embarrassment that seems to be occurring on a nightly basis now. Is it just me or when a game is going poorly for the Mets, whether it's terrible pitching, a non-existent offense, a one-man bullpen, or a lovely combination of those, am I the only one who kind of wants us to lose? Just as you said in a recent pod, deep down we all know something bad is going to happen, even when we may be winning. When this feeling hits me, I feel as though if they lose, maybe it will finally lead to change need changes needed to be made. Yet here we are at 30 and 33 and on a six-game losing streak and no changes have occurred. I know you're probably going to counter with, well, what changes can you make? You know, what changes can you make? My response to that is I have no idea. Buck and Billy in Epler need to do something now. Who came up with Billy and Epler? Is that Frank the Tank? It feels like that's a Frank the Tank invention, but I've heard a lot. Probably, I, I I think it's probably Frank, but uh, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter use it too, so I'm not really sure who originally. Oh no, it. it's definitely caught on. I mean, no doubt. I just want to give him the proper credit on that. It is definitely caught on. I hate writing this because I bleed blue and orange, but these feelings are lingering and I can't shake them. I'm just curious to see if I'm the only diehard fan who feels this way. I understand it's contradictory, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just a masochist. And his name is actually Kyle from Baltimore. I was just trying to read what his email was, but it's Kyle from Baltimore. I I never, ever, ever have that feeling. Ever. And I can give you extreme examples in which I should have that feeling, like when my team is tanking for a draft pick, whether it's the New York Jets or back in the day with Brooklyn when they used to have their own draft picks. I will never root against my team. So certainly with a team with championship aspirations or had championship aspirations, I'll never sit there and root against them because – I'm one of those naive fans that think as bad as things look, they can change on a dime. So I sit there watching this Met Brave game, the finale of the series, thinking if we win this game, maybe it turns it around. I've said that a lot so far this year on the Rico, that they'll be behind in a game. I'm hoping this is the win that turns it around. And I thought it was against Tampa. And I thought it was against Cleveland. And I thought like that had happened. So I never have that feeling. Uh, if things are bad, changes will be made. I'm not sitting here in June, though, necessarily rooting for those kinds of changes because I don't know if they're going to make a difference. Like firing the GM in June is crazy to me. It's not going to do anything. Firing the manager, and I'm sure we'll have this debate a lot more. Yes, I've been for it at times. Like, I'm not anti-firing the manager. I don't feel this is one of those situations. Like, I don't feel, despite all the moves Buck has made that I've criticized, I don't get this feeling of, boy, if you change the manager, this is going to turn things around. I don't. Now, can, can my view change in the next few weeks of things? Of course. Like, I'm open to it. 
but right now, I don't have this feeling of, oh, you just got to get rid of this manager. And I have before. Like I thought with Willie, I was for getting rid of him. Because I looked at the collapse and then the hangover the following year, and I wondered, are they ever going to be able to break it with him as the manager? I don't look at last year's collapse, which you don't want to call it a collapse. Fine, whatever you want to call it. I don't look at that as something that's Buck's fault. You know what I mean? Like, guys failed. I think some of his managing this year has been awful, but I never looked at the conclusion of last year and said Buck had a big hand in it. Maybe that's why I don't look at that as a continuation. So, no, I don't root against my team to lose. Long long story short. Pete does, though. Pete's Pete's a bad guy. I, I have in the past. I won't lie. I definitely, when the Mets have been awful, I've definitely been okay with them losing to prove a point because I, 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 I won't say now, like I definitely did not root for a loss today. I, this season, last season, I believe in this team. So I need them to win and I'm going to always feel that way and hope that way. But yeah, there, there's been moments in life has been that bad. By the way, I do want to say something though. You know, you talk about just, Buck, it's not time to fire him, and you. There are times to fire people. My question to you, though, is like, what else can be done? Like, we can, everyone keeps coming to this. What else can be done? Like, if you DFA right. Vogel back, is that going to be like, oh my goodness, everyone's on the chopping block, get ready? Like, there's nothing. This team, either the the, the kids are too young or the vets are too old. Like, Vogel back leaving is not going to be like, oh my goodness, we're we're screwed. We're, yeah, there or- isn't. There, there isn't. I mean, I, I hate to give you that kind of boring answer. There really isn't anything that big that one can do. And I know we want that, or a lot of Met fans want that. They want the flesh. They want something. But there really isn't. Like, roster-wise, there isn't. Uh, firing people, there isn't. There's just, I, I think I mentioned this on the last Rico, or maybe I mentioned it on Carton and Roberts. I forgot. You want to try one of the coaching changes like they did in 1999 when they took Bobby Valentine's staff and they neutered him? Sure, you could try something like that. Uh, Alex Berrios writes, Alex from Louisville, I'm exhausted. This team absolutely sucks. Our bullpen is bleep. When we score 10 runs, we can't effing pitch. SMH, that means shaking my head. Steve Cohen better do something to change this narrative. Mediocrity is worse than being bad because they tease. Steve writes, can you get Sal Licata to claim the NL East is over? Maybe since it worked for the Braves last season, it'll work for the Mets this season. I think he did say it the other day. So <laughs> maybe that'll work. He, he, he did. It, did. it didn't work. I saw yeah. the video already. <laughs> Casey Manning writes, give us flesh. I want everybody fired. Fire the GM, fire Buck, fire Hefner. This is the worst Mets team in my lifetime. They have the largest payroll in the history of American sports. If Cohen doesn't give us a pound of flesh, he might as well put his tail between his legs and never show his pathetic face again. Buck shouldn't get on the bus. I don't give a goddamn that today wasn't his fault. We deserve so much better than this. We're a bunch of sheep, a bunch of idiots for believing things would be different. Shame on us. F this team. This is therapy, actually. I think reading this is therapy for all of us. Al writes, why do I continue to do this to myself every effing night? I'm so jacked up right now in disgust. I won't fall asleep. I know when I wake up in the morning, Pete will be out for six to eight weeks. If they don't get two or three this weekend, this bucket fired on this Monday off day. I have to think so. It's not just results. Got to question the effort of some of these guys. I feel you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm listen. I feel everybody on this. This blows. I'm still comatose from watching this crap. I do wonder, and I said this to Craig on the air the other day. We don't know Steve Cohen fully. We know he's willing to spend. We know he tweets every once in a while. We know he loves med history. There's a lot of things we know about Steve Cohen and we love about Steve Cohen. But we don't know about Steve Cohen is how he's going to respond to something like this. Is he George Steinbrenner? And by the way, it was a lot of bad from George Steinbrenner. George fired managers on a whim. And I think that's what Mets fans want. They want Steve Cohen to be 80s George Steinbrenner right now and fire Buck Showalter and just get rid of him. 
Done. Like he fired Luis Rojas. And if the Mets fire Buck Showalter, and this is not a reason not to, I just want to give you some facts that pop into my head and bother me sometimes. Terry Collins, Mickey Calloway, Carlos Beltran, Luis Rojas, Buck Showalter. They have had five managers. And yes, you have to include Beltran. They have had five managers in the last seven years or six years, whatever it adds up to. They have gone through managers and general managers like they're going out of style. Now, that's not on Steve Cohen, but I am curious to see how Steve Cohen is going to react to this kind of failure. Will he remain patient? We're 63 games into the season, or will he do something crazy, something daring? Look, this is not the trade season, so the answer ain't going to be a trade. The answer ain't going to be, let's just take five prospects and deal it for this. Now, George did that once in a while, and there were some bad ones. Jay Buner for Ken Phelps, Jose Rijo, Doug Drabeck. Like, there were some bad ones. I don't want that. I don't think any of us wants that. But right now, I think the people want the manager fired. <laughs> I do admit, I uh, the sense I get is that I'm in the minority for saying not to fire him. And here's what's funny. Here's what's funny. If you listen to what I say and what Pete says, we rip him 90% of the time. So it's not about defending Buck or liking Buck. It's about not agreeing with fire him and promote Eric Chavez or fire him and bring Beltron down from upstairs. I don't think Buck's had a good year. I'd be the first to tell you, we've gone through so many moves. And even last year, we were criticizing him a little bit more so than others, but I'm not on the train of just fire him and that's going to fix everything. Does this team need a closed-door meeting, a screaming veteran player speech? Maybe. Some teams need that crap. But we're going to learn a lot about this team because they've already spiraled into a bad place. The Pirates are up and down. They're feisty. They're better. What the hell's going to happen in Pittsburgh? Are they going to go there and show a pulse? Are they going to go there and respond, or are they going to go there and wilt? They are facing Dick Mountain on Friday night, so with a lefty on the mound, I'd expect that Vientos will definitely get another start, and then they're going to face Oviedo and Keller on Saturday and Sunday. Right now, I don't know what to think, but we're in a bad place. We're in a very, very dark place. Bad place, dark place, and it's only the middle of June. Any parting words, Pete, to give us confidence, or were we just all screwed? No, I, I will say this. I, no matter how bad this loss and the six-game losing streak feels right now and everything is just shit, I still have confidence that this team is not as bad as, as they are and, or that they're playing right now. And we say that they're bad and they're 30 and 33. So that's the thing we have to remember. You look at the National League in general – we're still not far from a, a wild card. We're still in the playoff hunt. So a lot of the bad that's there, I mean, if this is the worst of it, great. If it gets worse than this, if it, we start losing more games in in heartbreak fashion, I don't know how we'll recover, but I do feel that there's going to be eventually a turn coming. It, what What's making it very difficult to remain poised and confident to me is the pitching. And I think I said that after the Colorado series. This lineup can score runs. This lineup has promise. This lineup, I can easily convince myself, will be a strength. Like, I can convince myself of that. I can. I don't, it's not that complicated to look at this lineup, look at some of the young players, look at some of the veterans that have gotten off to bad starts, and rationalize how everything's going to be okay. I can't do that with this bullpen, and these old stiffs are making it very difficult to do it with the rotation. That's a problem. And so I think that's where things may not get better. If they don't pitch and these old guys don't pitch better and this bullpen doesn't step up and it's tough to say, go step up. I don't think a lot of guys are good. Like I, uh, Steven Nagosik's going to step up. I, I, is he? Jeb Brigham's going to step up. Tommy Hunter's going to step up. Uh, that's where it's tough to remain very confident. But they got three with the Pirates. They got the two games coming up with the Yankees where those stiffs are going to be back on the mound. And, and you, for us as fans, the Yankees are a big deal. 
The Subway Series is a big deal. The crowds are big. The crowds are loud. And based on the way Max Scherzer pitches in a big game, I expect him to get his ass kicked. And considering there's a World Series atmosphere for Mets Yankees, well, we know what Justin Verlander does when he sees the World Series. He shrinks. So it's very difficult to be confident. We did get a lot more emails than the ones I read, and we do appreciate them. Uh, We'll try to read as many as we can as we go through the weekend. We'll do a few more Ricos, depending on what the hell's going on. We'll probably have to do some kind of emergency Rico for the bad news that's coming with Pete Alonzo. So stay tuned for that. But we appreciate emailing the RicoB at gmail.com and obviously downloading the podcast. Can't wait to the Pete Alonzo comedy event, which is on Monday night. That'll be fun. Thank you for listening to another depressing edition of Rico Bronya. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 